On episode 17 of the Goblin Trash Masters, we're going to discuss the hierarchical bullshit of natural talent, whiteboarding, and maybe even a little about butt rock. I'm Kyle, joined by my partner in crime, Anthony. Say hello, Anthony. With arms wide open. Alright, let's talk some trash. I'm back from the desert. I survived. I fought off a coyote for another granola bar to get to a gas station in the middle of nowhere, but I'm back and here to talk about magic. Yeah. How's it going, Anthony? (laughs) I fought a coyote too. That's a lie. I didn't fight a coyote. Was it a guy just with a shirt that had a coyote on it? Yeah. Who you been talking to? (laughs) (laughs) No one. That was just a shot in the dark. (laughs) but anyway today the first thing we're going to be talking about is that natural talent is bullshit natural talent is hierarchical bullshit i hate the phrase natural talent yeah like even with me just being a magic player and a creative person going to art school and everybody's oh they're so talented i'm just like okay sure maybe but like It doesn't matter if you don't work hard or try. It's just not like, boom, I know everything. In anything, like, you hear about natural talent in all sorts of things, like art, here in magic, which is especially clown shoes to me. You hear it in sports all the time. Now, like, natural talent, like, people think that there's, like, this genetic thing that makes Mm -hmm. you better at what you're doing. And I want to ask you, Kyle, what do you think that... What do you think the causal link is between success in Magic the Gathering and reproductive fitness? I would say practice. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I broke Anthony. (laughs) No, so when I say like the causal link between the two, I'm like, how do you think that one affects the other? Do you think being better at Magic makes you more likely to bear offspring or less? (laughs) (laughs) but in both cases practice is definitely useful it is useful and in both cases shiksas are there for you oh man oh but there's no human evolved trait for being good at magic right there's Mm -hmm. no there's nothing genetically that makes you good now there are some like skills that you can have And even some that you get a little head start in, there are some things that help you out there that can be genetic, like your ability to memorize, like brute force memorize things, your lateral reasoning, math. Definitely math. Interpersonal skills and empathy are both things that can be learned, but there are some people that just come into this world being (laughs) able to do it and some people that just can't. Yeah. Correct. Right off the bat. Now, everybody can do all of these things, but some people, it's a little more work than others. And I guess my big thesis with this is that nature versus nurture, there's no natural talent that you can have in magic or in any of these subcategories that can set you so far ahead that you are going to be whooping up on people who put in more effort. I say this all the time. I think magic is the closest thing to a meritocracy that you will ever experience in life. 
the people that work the hardest enjoy the most success. Yeah, that's the, it's funny, like looking back at how I describe magic players that in any other sport game competition type thing, I don't say, wow, they're such a talented magic player. I say they're such a good or great magic player. And mm -hmm. when I use those words, it's more of it comes to the fact that it's just no, they're not talented. We're just like they just have these gifts. It's just they worked at it. And like you said, with memory, lateral reasoning, empathy, interpersonal skills, these things like it's just things people have that you're good at in just normal life. And some people can do math really quick, have really good memory, can just see something and boom, they got it. And other people it takes more time. But with magic, you have to practice to get good to be a talented magic player. It's not just something where it's just it's there. Mm -hmm. Everybody can work at it and everybody could be good. But if you are considered one of the better players and you work at it and you can get there to become a better magic player, a good or even great magic player. And that's why I think it's really great because it's not just, oh, this person is very gifted. They're very talented and they're just going to be a good hockey player, a good basketball player, a good football player because of just genetics. No, if you work hard, you'd be good at magic. And that's. I think one of the best things, and for some people, some of the most frustrating things, because some people just want it to come to them be like, oh, why isn't it working? They got to practice. I don't want to do that. And then they yeah, yeah. just move on. I like how you approach changing your language, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you tell somebody, hey, wow, you're really talented versus I really like X and Y decision you've made here. I really mm -hmm. like this play. What? I feel like you're discounting all of the work that they put in. And just to bring it back to art, like if we're looking at some of if we're looking at some like formists, right? Mm -hmm. If we're looking at middle-aged Mark Chagall, for example. Yeah, this is a great example, Anthony. This is going to apply to everyone's going to everyone's going to know exactly what you're <laughs> talking about here. But the finished product is nice, but what makes those paintings so moving is when you are paying attention and looking to what went into it, you can mm -hmm. see the form that created the final product and the final product isn't the only desirable outcome. Winning game, we've talked about this all the time, winning games of magic isn't, isn't the end all be all. The process mm -hmm. is important. And when you tell somebody, oh, wow, you just hit the ground running. This is so easy for you you're discounting the process and you're discounting that hard work and mm -hmm. you're just judging them based on that finished painting. Yeah, this is coming back to us in the States with the college basketball happening in March Madness where you look at these games like, wow, this team played so well, but they lost, so it doesn't matter. It's mm -hmm. only about wins and losses. It doesn't matter how well you played. It's not the same in the game of Magic. If you play very well, regardless of winning or losing, that means you're a good player. It's not all about wins and losses. We say it time and time again, but that shouldn't discourage people from just trying to play to the best of their ability, practice and ignore that talent conversation because this isn't sports. This in, as far as like competitive sports, it's not all about wins and losses. It's about playing well. I'd even argue that the same applies for sports, even from a team perspective. I think that the most enjoyable, even if the game ends up in an L, the most enjoyable part is watching the game itself if that weren't the case oh, yeah. i just don't think anybody would watch sports at all i got to watch i got to watch stanford lose and get knocked out of the tournament this is on the women's side i got to watch stanford lose and get knocked out of the tournament 
by Ole, Ole Miss, who, like, I'm going to be frank, nobody really had them doing much of anything. And it was mm-hmm. just because they you could see their plan and Stanford's counterplay to it and what happened there. And it was a brutal, ugly game, too. Old Miss, Old Miss pulled this really high-powered Stanford offense down into the dirt with them. Yeah, you're rolling around in the mud with us. I think the final score was in like the 50s. Oh, wow. It was just a defensive game. It was brutal. Grindy. Yeah, it was just like, I don't think anybody shot. Either team shot even remotely close to what you would call acceptable. And even though like I, I love Stanford, love Haley Jones, I found I was rooting for Stanford there. I just mm-hmm. felt like even though that ended up in a loss for them, it felt like I loved watching the moves and counter moves that got made. Oh, yeah. And I feel like if you play that game a hundred times, Ole Miss loses 99 of those. (laughs) Even with everything done the same, I feel like that matters. And I think that kind of feeds into what you're saying here is that Mm. the way you are playing, the what you're doing matters and the work you put in matters. Mm -hmm. The results should be on average, a reflection of the work, not the other way around. And I've got to be honest, when people start talking about like genetic advantages and stuff like that, yeah, uh, it, that's some Jordan Peterson lobster bullshit. Yeah, when white sports commentators are talking about qu- quick twitch athletes, I just go like, stop it. Like, I <laughs> it makes me, I get very ookie gookied out. I guess is a good way. To just, <laughs> I'm yeah. just like, I'm just like, oh, I don't like this. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> because listen, I am a women's athletics fan and a Twitter user. And believe me, I have had some people hit me with some smooth brain genetic takes. Yeah. That's I would say the most polite way to put it. <laughs> yeah. About that's about as good as I can get with it. As as polite as you can get with it. <laughs> yeah. I think also when you as you're trying to develop, if your focus is on natural talent and people mm. that kind of feel like they come in and just hit the ground running and can just crunch you. I hear it I hear it all the time at F and M's and stuff like that about mm-hmm. about how people just it just comes easy to them. And I can't speak for everybody, but I can speak for myself. Not a goddamn bit of this comes easy to me. Same. It. Do, I am a creative person who is very distractible, very AD, just like, ooh, piece of candy type like mm-hmm. person. I have to sit down and do like lateral reasoning and math. It's hard for me, but I like the game and I want to play it. And mm-hmm. it's not just one of those things where it's like, oh, yeah, it's comes. No, I have to work. A lot of people don't see the work. A lot of these really good players like on the RC rcq rc and pro tour level like it goes all the way down even to fnm and i think that's a good point of just you hear it at the fnm level or they're just so talented it comes easy i'm like you didn't see the 20 plus hours they work to like figure out this format and how to play this deck yeah it's the synchronized (laughs) swimming example right the synchronized swimming yeah you don't see the legs (laughs) you don't see you can see all you can see everyone looks cool calm and collected above the surface big smiles but but Mm -hmm. underneath underneath the water they're kicking like crazy to stay where they are and do what they're doing and i think that you if, as a if you're a developing player you're doing yourself a disservice by mm-hmm. putting yourself in a spot where you chalk up a lot of the player that's always beating you when you just chalk that up to up oh, out of my control 
nothing I can do. Nothing I can do. You're taking something off of you and putting it on natural talent. We talked mm-hmm. about people that took this culpability off of themselves and put it on luck before. And mm-hmm. natural talent's just another scapegoat for stuff like that. Your brain is a muscle. You have to exercise it. There are things that I think people ascribe to natural talent that should be ascribed to work. And by work, getting in reps, that's a big one. And I think having actual real life conversations about cards, decks, matchups, and the format. Correct. I 100% agree. And like bringing it back to sports just to make it a little easier. It's just for me being a hockey player or not a hockey player, a fan of hockey and hockey players. One of my favorite players, Nikita Kucherov, he's like, oh, he's so talented. They don't see him for 20 plus hours like doing the same thing over and over again. It's the same thing with magic players. It's the same thing over and over again. You got to keep getting those reps in. It's just, and look, you're like, we've said this many times over many episodes, you're shutting yourself off saying, oh, it's just, everyone's more talented than me. It's all luck. It's all this. I feel like magic is so far removed from anything that has a genetic marker on it. Yes. That, There's not a whole lot of ground you need to make up because like we Mm -hmm. said, if you understand that you're you're just like, hey, I'm pretty good at a bunch of these. Like, I feel like I'm in a good spot with a few of these building blocks. Like we talked memory, lateral reasoning, math, interpersonal skills, empathy. Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm okay in some of these and not in others. That just means that's where you need to focus your energy. And I think that's about Mm -hmm. as much introspection into your natural, for lack of a better term god-given talents that you should do i think that there are things you can do to work on them we actually have an example that we're going to go into in a little more detail Mm -hmm. called whiteboarding and i think that covers a lot of different things but understanding where your deficiencies are understanding what you need to work towards is good but you can't just wash your hands of it and say ah nothing i can do here i'm not as yeah I'm not as smart as I can't brute force memorize deck lists like Jim. I can't do three different versions of combat math in the 30 seconds I have like Tina. Like those are the, the, yeah, of course you can't, you haven't done it. So do your three versions of combat math in 90 seconds. Yeah. And then do it in 80 seconds and then 70. You have to do it. It's a muscle. You have to exercise it. You have to work out. You have to put in effort to get better. And chalking things up to natural talent is an excuse to not put in that effort. The harder I work, the luckier I get. Like you said, you work on it, you get better. And that's the best part of magic. Magic is a hard game, but it's not where it's just like only a select few of people can do it. Mm -hmm. Everybody can do it. If Mm -hmm. you put the work in, it's not like everybody starts at the same level and everybody works, get better at magic based on the level of effort you put into it. You know, Mm -hmm. the amount of effort you put into the craft to the game. And it's great. Yeah, it's a hard game. But if you practice, work at it and keep at it, you can become a great player. And that's the greatest thing about this game. And some people don't really like to work or put the practice in or they just want things to come with them. And Hey, if that's your personality, that's fine. But if you really want to become a great magic player, you got to work on it because you just Mm -hmm. can't sit sit down across from somebody and just be like, oh, they're just too talented. No, they've been grinding. They've been putting in the work in. They got graphs, diagrams, sideboard guides, tons and tons of reps. They've talked to a lot of people. And this will be a nice segue. They probably have a giant whiteboard with a lot (laughs) of things on it that they have been discussing over a long period of time. I think that's a smooth, 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 
I'm going to put on my NPR radio voice. In our next segment, we will be discussing the concept of whiteboarding. Is that boogie boarding, but only for the melanin challenged? No, in this case, it is not. Join me, Anthony Sweatervest, and my co-host, Kyle Toppenjuice. Thank you for having me. We're going to be discussing... <laughs> We're going to be discussing a concept called whiteboarding. I think this is super useful if you have a kind of natural play group, easy peasy. You can just, you have the group ready to go. And if you don't have a steady play group, this is a great way to kind of find one and to find who's taking this as seriously as you are. So when I say a whiteboard, I do not mean we're kind of listing things out and making sideboard guides and being super in the weeds. In some cases, a literally a dry erase big whiteboard where you put it, all the decks in the format. You can do this by yourself. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks. It sucks so much. Yeah, I mean, it's something that you can... I'd say if you're going to do it by yourself, you just have it as a reminder, mm -hmm. in a sense, keep it up where you live and just be like, these are the decks in the format. These are the cards I need to worry about. Just as like a daily affirmation. Just, okay, this deck is prominent. This card is seeing a lot of play. Just so it's in your mind. It's in your mind. But when you're actually doing the whiteboard, like it's great to have it with your play group. And I liked your point about you can see how serious like your friends or people in your play group are. Because I've seen it a lot and you've probably seen it a lot more than I have where it's just you start getting out the whiteboard, the graphs, the the notes on things, preparing for big tournaments. And people are like, ah, it's a little too much for me. You can weed out the people who are not as serious as you. And sometimes that can be a good thing. And it'll help for both you, of you for both of you. Yeah. And it'll help <laughs> you in the long run to become a better player because you're getting actual feedback from people who are very entrenched invested, in this, very yeah. serious about this, invested in it. And I think that's a very good point. Yeah. Now, like, this is not going to be a very dry discussion. It's going to get loud. It's going to get goofy. If you're doing it well, people are going to joke around. And that's the point. You mm -hmm. want a desirable state for a whiteboard is, is a word that might not be super well known in my experience since definitely since I've moved to Kentucky but it, the word is kibitz and that's basically just just like a wise cracking kind of back and forth chatting mm -hmm. and you really want things to be constantly moving you do not mm -hmm. want dead air you want things to be going and a good way to do that is just to be enthusiastic I have a little acronym for it. it is eagle enthusiastic arguments and goofy loudness are excellent and that's just basically i think for any in-depth discussion where people aren't getting paid, that is a desirable point. You want people to be laughing because it keeps people engaged. It keeps them feeling too dry. Keeps it um, fun, light. Keeps it and light. But as long as you are spending the majority of your time near the topic, mm -hmm. you're going to get information out of this. And that's the most yeah. important part because games of magic have so many permutations, right? You could not, as one person, hope to personally experience all of them. You couldn't mm -hmm. hope to personally experience half of them. You couldn't hope to personally experience a quarter of them. But if you've got five people that are on board and really talking about it, you multiply your personal experience by five. Mm -hmm. Each of you do. All ships rise. It's great. Oh, yeah, it's great. And there's the there's a Latin phrase, a kind of a joke phrase, asinus, asinum, fricot. And that means the jackass pets the jackass. And it's just two people that have no idea, two or more people that have no idea what they're talking about, congratulating each other on how smart they are, that this is this is something to watch out for when you're doing this. Mm -hmm. But we've discussed a bit around the whiteboard. I kind of want to talk about what goes 
on the whiteboard. Mm-hmm. So we've already discussed like the decks that are in the format, like prep for RC San Diego. I have a whiteboard mm-hmm. and it's got all the decks that I expect to see. And then under each deck, I want to include what are the threats that this deck is presenting? What are you worried like, about? What am I worried about in that matchup? I think a good example is what are the threats in mono white in standard mm-hmm. right now? I'm worried about the Wandering Emperor, Ao, Ao, whatever his name is. The dragon from Kamigawa, the, yeah. Yeah, the Kamigawa dragon. Those are, and then sometimes the Eternal Wanderer, sometimes Elspeth. These are their big, like, punchy haymakers that I'm really worried about. And I want those listed right next to the deck so I can see that deck. And I can see those words of the threats listed out under it. So you can see those with your eyeballs. And then when you're playing against that deck, you can remember model white. What am I playing around? What can they do if I tap out on turn four and they play their fifth land? What can they punish me with? Mm-hmm. And you're thinking, oh, Elspeth. Yeah. Underneath the threats, I like listing out their main pieces of interaction and be mm-hmm. like stupid thorough here. Right. Oh, yeah. If cut down was played, but they're not really playing cut down in that spot anymore. Write down cut down. And in the parentheses, right. Not played so much anymore. And you could be very specific with both the threats and the interaction thing. Like, And I think the interaction part is a great thing to have on your whiteboard because I feel like more people just talk about threats. But mm-hmm. the interaction aspect where it's like, all right, are they playing two to three make disappear or, for, or the full four? Are they doing go for the throat or are they doing cut down? Like you want to talk, like have that conversation of what removal or counter magic am I playing? What interaction spells am I playing? around because oh it, you have that conversation it's it's a maybe a removal spell or it's a counter spell but what removal spell mm-hmm. what counter spell if it's go for the throat i'll activate my reckoner bank buster and swing for four if mm-hmm. it's not go for the throat maybe is just it like, a braid is it a braid yeah there you go if it is it brotherhood's end but things like that those are good things and the reason for this and the reason you can go like pretty wide with it and you don't have to worry about it is because Once again, you are not making a sideboard guide here. What you are doing is you are writing out a list of cards you need to be thinking about in different situations. And I break them up by threats and I break them up by interaction because when you are thinking about what interaction they have, you can close your eyes and imagine this whiteboard and you can be like, okay, I remember that there was cut down, go for the throat, a braid and make disappear. What do I do in each of those situations? What do I do if they have go for the throat and make disappear? What do I do if they have a braid and cut down? What do I do if they have just a braid? You are arming yourself to be able to play around things better when you can. We talk about front loading the work a lot. Oh, a lot of these players doing really well what they're doing is they have this list they know what they're playing around in any given time and in a given moment and they don't get blindsided Mm -hmm. by things it's that uh, we talked about that internal list that you go through Mm -hmm. as you play and it's 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 a great thing to have but it's also the process of you writing out that list and you'll be amazed at how much it helps for you just whether it's a whiteboard or a piece of paper Mm -hmm. and just writing down Writing it down, pen to paper, pencil to paper, so you actually have done it, it sticks in your mind a little better Mm -hmm. when you do that. Yeah. Do that work the week or two weeks before your big tournament. Mm -hmm. And the tournament gets easier. And then you don't have to do that mental, undertake that mental effort Mm -hmm. during your turn when there's a round clock going. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You don't want to be doing that. Other thing underneath that. I like to just just to give the data some shape to it. I like mm-hmm. to include the goldfish turn. 
And that's the turn that if they're ignored and left alone, when can they kill you? Think burn in modern, goldfish's four turns. So that can help you contextualize what's going on. And again, this doesn't have to be precise. It just gives you a good idea. Like basically, if it's over, if it's over turn like six, I just write six plus the if they're just curving out and getting that's what the goldfish turn is. And then I underneath that, I write what the good matchups, the bad matchups and the 50 fifties are for that deck in the format. We talked about formism and the process more than the result. What goes on the whiteboard isn't as important as the discussion around what goes on the whiteboard. That's what you want. The whiteboard is a tool to facilitate the discussion and the discussion is what matters here. And if you're doing this by yourself, then the internal discussion matters. But if you're doing this with others, oh my goodness, that's what you need. I was discussing it and I was just like, I think that the Grixis Atraxa Cruelty of Gix deck just goes way over the top of Esper and they have a hard time. And somebody was just like, no, Esper Legends is actually really able to disrupt them pretty thoroughly and get in under them and mess them up. And I was just looking at it and like that discussion helped us both get a little more perspective on that matchup. Mm-hmm. And both of us are now better at playing that matchup from either side than we would have been otherwise. Yeah, that's a great point because sometimes you don't see it. You're just like, oh, no, this is how I view it. This is this. I just don't think this is correct or this is a good matchup, bad matchup, what have you. And then somebody points out something to you. Sometimes you have a discussion and you're better for it. But other times, like a light bulb goes off in your head. He's like, oh, shit, I didn't see it that way. Mm -hmm. And that's why having a discussion is such a great and powerful thing to have. Because if you're just in your head and your tunnel vision, have the blinders on, you'll miss some stuff. And it's good to have a dialogue with people who have played this matchup or who haven't or just like good magic players or good at just noticing things there are a lot of magic players that when they sit down and play they're not the best but when it comes to a coaching standpoint they're fantastic and we've talked mm-hmm. about this in the past and it's good to have that dialogue with your friends or colleagues or teammates whatever you want to call them discussions mm-hmm. are great for this and the whiteboard is important but like you said the discussion is i think the best part of this process yeah, the discussion is the discussion is what really matters here. Mm-hmm. And honestly, you can add more stuff to your whiteboard if you want, but I'd recommend not. I'd rec- I'd really just say that's enough information for you to be able to get a good idea of what any given format looks like. This isn't a replacement for getting in your reps. This is not a sideboard guide because your whiteboard should be. You notice what we never discussed any sideboarding stuff because your whiteboard should be deck agnostic. It should not mm-hmm. be from the perspective of any one deck because you want that whiteboard and what you're discussing to be relevant no matter what you're playing. As broad as possible. Just mm-hmm. cast that wide net. And that's what it is. It's like a nice high level roadmap to use to mm-hmm. approach a given format and focuses and directs a group discussion towards relevant pieces of technology for archetypes in that format. Now, I have some do's and don'ts for hosting a whiteboard. We're going to we're going to be positive. We're going to start with the do's. <laughs> okay. Do host this in person if you possibly can. A hundred percent. Person with friends around a table and have that discussion. If you do want to do this digitally, you can use the free online whiteboard at Miro. But you just really don't get that that same level of buy-in, I don't think. I say have one. Exactly one. One. Only one. Shared computer or iPad for looking up cards. Everyone should really just put their phones away. Yes. Yeah. Carve out like an hour for this. 
if you let people know, you set the expectation, hey, we're going to be doing this for an hour. We might be mm-hmm. doing some more playtesting and some individual work with matchups and playing magic later, but we're going to set aside an hour for this. Set a timer if you need to. If hey, you can do this on a piece of paper at a table, but really try and do it on a whiteboard if you can or something big. If the discussion's going well, you'll need the room. And just in general, if there's a person there that's quiet, encourage that person to share. Yeah. Because if they just stay silent, they're getting more value out of this than you are. You might even have them hold the marker if they're especially shy. Yeah. That, that, that might be like a, a note taker in a sense for the whiteboard. And here's a cute one. Feed people. Oh, yeah. And feed people messy food. So no cards are on the table. Yes, exactly. <laughs> get some greasy ass pizza. Oh, get uh, some wings or something, you know, yeah. ribs. <laughs> something like that is great because it really you're really like we're eating, we're having a good time, we're discussing, but people just it makes it inconvenient for people to be busting cards mm-hmm. out. And like we talked about that eagle acronym, enthusiastic arguments and goofy loudness are excellent. Be loud, be goofy. The whiteboard is there to keep people on track. You, as the host, are there to keep people engaged. Yes. Don't really think of it as like a work meeting, but as a fun discussion with friends. Yeah. And if if you can keep things upbeat and fun, you will have people continuing to contribute. Yes, 100%. My don'ts. Time to be negative. Yep. (laughs) Don't rush. Don't rush the process. The discussion is important. It's the whole point. Don't don't shut down a discussion just so you can get something on the board. That's... Mm -hmm missing the forest for the trees in this don't have music or tv playing we've talked about this before language center of your brain very important you need to be verbalizing and vocalizing these concepts even if they Mm -hmm. even if you feel really good about them in your brain you need to get them across to other people so that they have them and vice versa don't play games of magic don't do it cards away cards away phones away all of it this is not play testing this is what you do before your play testing will be so much better if you do this first because you're providing something the board is not gospel right you're providing something to prove or disprove so if you put something on the board and then you do some play testing you're just like oh this matchup is not like we discussed it is not playing out like we thought it would that Mm -hmm. is not correct go over there it's fucking dry erase dryly erase that shit (laughs) and write something else remember that what goes on the board isn't like the end all be all it's not mm-hmm. this sacred cow. It's there to keep the discussion moving and get people to talk nuts and bolts. Whiteboard. I like a whiteboard for this because a whiteboard feels like you are in a locker room and you are planning out your team's plays. And the last don't I have, don't shut down anyone's idea. No. Even if, yeah, even if it's dumb, especially if it's dumb. Because people have dumb ideas all the fucking time. Whiteboarding is not intended to generate an absolute truth. It's there to establish a base expectation. If two or more people disagree in a matchup, just note it down on the board. When you move on to testing, like we said, you can look back up at the board and you can change it up. So what I want to do is I'd love it if we could kind of plan out a time to do some whiteboarding for the Pioneer format before we go into the Pioneer the RCQ, Pioneer season, yeah. RCQ season. So I'm going to have we're going to have a few folks get together. We're going to do a whiteboard. We're going to do it on a physical whiteboard, probably. Yeah. But then I am going to copy that whiteboard on into Miro and I'm going to include a link 
to that on the goblin trashmasters.com our website so, so you that can see our can process see, you can see the process and remember this is a mark chagall painting look at it not for the finished <laughs> but for the process that led to it what caused that you benefit so much by thinking about what was what got that how did that get on the board what discussion mm -hmm. led to why did they feel the need to include this on the board? And that's good. And hopefully that can give you some guidance as to how to host your own whiteboard sessions. Yeah. And it's just it's brainstorming. It's thought provoking discussions. It's just you throwing everything at the wall, seeing what sticks. Like we mm -hmm. said, no dumb questions, because there there might be times she's like, ah, I don't know. And then you have the whole session. You go to playtesting. You're like, oh, you got a point there. You never want to shut people down and you always just want to just give it your all throw everything out there just say whatever craziness you're thinking in your head and if it's not beneficial it's a dry erase board nothing's permanent just yep erase it and go from there i love it quick head start on our whiteboarding session can you name three decks that you know you want to put on our pioneer whiteboard when it comes time well easy one rakdos midrange because yep all it's over gotta the place. be on there grease fang surprisingly mm -hmm. i think that one should be up there mono green and I know you don't agree, but I think creativity should be up there too. Oh, I think create. I don't it's, think it's creativity there. is very good, but it is there, right? Oh, it's I'm there. Putting, yeah, I'm putting decks. I'm putting decks that I expect to see, not decks that mm -hmm. I am worried about. It's one of those things where if it could be there, you want to be on there. Ooh, um, ooh, and another one is just coming ooh. to me. Hammer time. It's very new and not a lot, but this is I, this is I think a perfect deck to just throw it on the whiteboard. Because if you're not prepared for a deck like this, you're screwed. Because mm -hmm. it's one of those things where it's a gotcha deck. And mm -hmm. it's really fast. And who knows if it's here to stay or if it's just going to be a flash in the pan. But you, it's one of those things like just put it up on the board. I'm hoping for the second because if that deck has legs. Rut row, Raggy. I am in trouble. <laughs> I do not do particularly well against those sort of things. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I can kind of, I agree with those. I think I'll probably add on to that. I want Lotus Field on the board. Yeah, yeah. I want Mono Blue Spirits on the board. I want Bogles on the board. Yeah, yeah, the Auras deck is, it's still here. <laughs> it, ain't, it hasn't gotten away. Thank you, Benton. <laughs> and I, and I want Esper Legends on the board. For Pioneer? I, Mono White and Esper Legends, yeah. Mm, wow. Somebody's going somebody's gonna to try it. So, yeah, somebody's going to do it. That is very true. That deck has too few bad cards in it for people not to show up playing it. So I think that is I think that is a very possible thing that we may see. Yep, worth noting. Now, something on a more serious note. Do you feel like the band Evanescence should qualify as butt rock? Or do you think that band is just butt rock adjacent? This is a very interesting conversation because it's so weird. You look at Evanescence and you go, yeah, it's butt rock. It's definitely there. Like they've toured with bands that are just 100% butt rock, but it's also something like your mom would listen to. So it's like butt rock adjacent. It's like half ass, not the full ass. <laughs> like they got signed to the same record label as Creed. Yeah, but they're not like. I don't know. I just can't put them as butt rock. Like, I know that record oh. label really wanted them to be butt rock because they were like, hey, your first single, we got to get some rapper on it. And they yep. were like, some rapper? And they were like, yeah, it doesn't matter which. And the, it doesn't matter. Just like, some guy. I was, they were like, it matters to us. But it's one of, I just, I'm just, they just show up on so many butt rock playlists. Yes. It'll just be like Breaking Benjamin, 
Evanescence. Three Grace. Three three doors grace. (laughs) Three doors grace. I don't (laughs) listen. I don't know a ton of I don't know a ton of butt rock, but it all just sounds like (laughs) you got it. You got it. Here's another one which is is Evanescence butt rock or are they not? It this is a question that I've had because I've listened to a lot of like early two thousands pop punk like radio stations and Dashboard Confessional comes on a lot. And it's we've asked the question like do they belong here? And it's Dashboard um, Confessional in with pop punk? Yes, but not really. It's very strange. It's hurt my brain thinking about it. Okay, like <laughs> they're definitely emo, so like what era? <laughs> what era Dashboard Confessional? Early like early to mid of their career? Like they were like Midwest emo. Yeah, but they were popular. I it, guess. Yeah, that's how I it's just like but I don't know. But fun fact, the lead singer of Dashboard Confessional was around my hometown. So he was singing them songs in the parking lot of high school before they hit it big. Yay, South Florida. I don't really care. (laughs) No, it's punk rock. That was probably the early 2000s version of a dating app. (laughs) Oh, no. I've upset myself. So, yeah, I think that I think that pop punk kind of encompasses a lot of stuff, right? I feel like it's a really fuzzy category because people move into and move out of it. Like you if you said there are a few bands that you could describe as pop punk to me and I would be like, I guess you're right. And also you would be incredibly wrong. if You're like, oh, AFI. And I'm just like, I like Jimmy World. Yeah. Jimmy the main is another one that you're like, oh, yeah. they're pop punk. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, yeah, but they're kind of sure. like, they're like a they're kind of like a, a blues folk quartet. But you can't there's it's such a it's such a fuzzy definition. If you can loosely connect it to punk and you can say that it hit billboard, you can be like, yeah, that's pop punk. And I'd be like, most of the time with you. Most of the time, the easiest way, like when you're a little confused, is you ask someone who knows the band. Okay, is one of the members a really big hardcore fan? And if the answer is yes, they're a pop punk band. Like, it's are their song titles longer than four words? Correct. Yes. Do they still talk about pizza and they're in their forties? <laughs> <laughs> These are the hard hitting questions that yeah, people this... come here for. <laughs> yeah. Is their album cover something related in some way to a theater stage? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a yeah. really good one. Yeah, yeah. Do they complain the about, about their hometown? Do they? Oh, yeah. Can they not wait to get out of this town? Yes. <laughs> oh, no. We've put Never Shout Never into pop punk now. Now he's, you know what he's on to now? Oh, what? Christopher Drew. What? He's doing like a prog rock electric jazz mix, mix up right now. Why is that always the transition? Like from just anything emo pop punk to just, yeah, the most random shit you could think of. You do enough hallucinogens, all that shit sounds great. Oh, yeah, very true. Yeah. <laughs> Although my favorite is just Felix just going from just swoopy hair screamo with from first to last to just dubstep. Because, yeah. It. Also, oh my shout out from first to last. So good. I just, I think that album Heroin is probably in my top 10 albums of all time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. it just, Felt like great value, Danny Filth. And I was just a-okay with it. Yes, I'll take that any day of the week. Also, all of the metal purists, fuck you. Cradle of Filth is awesome. I don't care. I enjoy them. I don't care my guilty pleasure when it comes to black metal. Listen, I think there are some music fandoms that are awful, and I hate them. Black metal, correct. I'm 
going to violate the number two rule of the internet. The number one being don't fuck with cats. The number two rule is don't fuck with K-pop fans. And I'm going to say, oh, no, Anthony, no. (laughs) Baby metals fandom is toxic as shit. Also tools fandom. Okay, they deserve it. Tool fans are the fucking worst. I we get it. Stand. You like majored in math. Like no one gives a shit. <laughs> You're so much smarter than us. We get it. Also, like Tool's last two albums, because they put one out every 500 years, they haven't been good. It's just dumb experimentation that every Tool fan is like, ah, it's so good. And I'm like, this is awful. It's one of those, it's one of those fandoms that I'm a fan of the music, but I not so much in love with the stands is faith no more yeah i love faith no more but i can't admit that publicly like i'm doing exactly right now because (laughs) then i get lumped in with the faith no more you just don't if you don't like it you just don't understand it you just don't understand you don't get it you just it's it's okay some things go over people's heads that's when you know like a fandom is just a little crazy is when they just use that phrase you just don't get it Usually when people talk about music, it's like, oh, you just don't get it. I'm like, so it sucks. Like, it's just not good. You're just too far deep. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, I was, there are some fandoms that just gush a lot Mm -hmm. about what they're, about their band. I think Dillinger Escape Plan is an especially rough one for it. Oh, and just math rock in general. Yeah, yeah. And that just like that time of just, again, I love this band, but it's the same with Converge. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that, that they're a perfect band of, yes, it's good, but calm your tits okay <laughs> and that that kind of circles us back to the formism concept and just yes polyrhythms are objectively cool and i can appreciate yeah. the craft yeah. there <laughs> yeah that's great awesome i love it that's enough i've heard enough about them <laughs> so for the guessing game today we're doing another hit or whiff because we have a new card that got spoiled for march of the machines and it. Is one of my favorite characters from the multiverse. Ren is back. Old Ren and Stimpy, the bane of eternal formats. It is Ren and Realmbreaker. And who, I just have to get a shout out to the artist that did the borderless of this card before we get into it. Mm. Oh my God, it is gorgeous. I love it. But. Since it's hit or whiff, we're going to be discussing if we think it's good or bad. And this is this one, I think, will be a fun one. The Omnath, Omnath one was fun, and I think this one will be as fun as well. But Ren and Realm Breaker is a three-mana Planeswalker. One, Broccoli Time. Legendary Planeswalker, Ren. As a static ability, lands you control have add one mana of any color. Plus one, up to one target land you control becomes a 3-3 elemental creature with Vigilance, Hexproof, and Haste until your next turn. It's still a land. Minus two, mill three cards. You may put a permanent card from among the milled cards in your hand. Minus seven, you get an emblem with you may play lands and cast permanent spells from your graveyard. Four starting loyalty. Anthony, would you like to go first? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I want to point out before I come to a conclusion on this is that, first of all, the static ability works the way you want it to against Blood Moon. Yes, good, good thing to talk about. It unlike Dryad of the Elysian Grove, this does not care which entered first. Blood Moon changes text of the cards that are in play, and Ren and Realm Breaker adds an ability, grants an ability, which happens at a different layer. And so, regardless of which came in first, this or Blood Moon, the lands you control will have that ability. Okay, so that's worth it. The plus one does not protect this when you're on curve. It 
does help you to pressure opposing planeswalkers. Minus two turns this pretty into something pretty close to an eternal witness, which is really nice. You can activate that twice if it's left alone, or you can minus two it, plus to protect, minus two it again. And the minus seven is a really powerful ability. It starts at four loyalty. So looking at this, for me, I'm looking at it from a standard perspective. And right now, I would give this card a whiff for standard. And really? I'm hoping that I'm going to be wrong about it. But I think that having a three mana spell like this that doesn't really do a great job of protecting itself on time. The 3-3 does line up against Goblin Shamans pretty nicely, but this doesn't by itself line up well against Thalia. It doesn't really address the green deck's issues of stuff going just flying over top of, of it. Mm -hmm. And the minus seven, if you get to it, does let you minus seven cast Ren and Worldbreaker, which is really cool. Yeah, which is pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I it doesn't give anything extra land types. It doesn't really... What does this do when you're at parity? It's pretty good. What does it do when you're behind? It's pretty bad. What does it do when you're ahead? It doesn't really close out the game. It's okay. So if it's good in some of those situations, but pretty bad in others, I'd give it a whiff. Now, for other formats, I'm going to reserve my judgment on those. But for me, standard, I'm going to say that this card's a whiff. See, I was thinking you would think it was a hit. Interesting. All right, all right, all right. What about you? For me, I look at this card. I look at three mana Planeswalkers very differently than any other Planeswalker. You can come down as early as turn two, and just playing them on turn three is very good. And I look at the static ability on most Planeswalkers. Most of them have been pretty good, even like the bad ones. But I look at this one. That's very powerful, especially when we talked about with the Blood Moon, like layering. And I think just having a 3-3 three, three with Vigilance hex and Hexproof, you know, obviously with the Haste, it's not going to be like the Nissa from World War of the Spark, where you're just getting three threes. That and it's untapping them. Yeah. 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 That's a little crazy. And they haven't done anything like that with a lot of the green planeswalkers that do this. But the fact that the only way you can really remove the land that becomes a 3 3 is with like Demolition Field or Field of Ruin type cards, I think is very important. Where you look at a lot of removal heavy decks, whether it's in multiple formats, especially in standard now, I think the hexproof is really big and vigilance as well. It's not tapping, but I don't think it's super impactful as far as just like leaving the block. But the fact that you can attack with it and still tap for mana in your second main, I think is impactful. Like you said, minus two with the the Eternal Witness type thing. And depending on how much graveyard synergies you have. And then the minus seven is, depending on how you build your deck, is kind of, you're winning the game no matter what. And yeah, I your, think, your graveyard becomes your hand. Yeah. yeah. I like this one because it's, I think it's like a fixed Renin six where it has each of the abilities are similar in a sense. Where mm -hmm. something to do with lands. Minus two is pretty impactful, but not just card advantage, no. card advantage or just something like that. And then the minus seven is just you're going to win. Mm -hmm. And it being it's starting at four loyalty, I think is really good. And I'm thinking of this in internal formats or just like Pioneer Modern. I'll have you guess. I think you know the answer. But do you think it's uh, hit or away for me or? My instinct is that for older formats, Pioneer and Modern, that this might be a hit. And I think you oh, yeah. might be thinking from that perspective. Then. I think mm -hmm. you might say hit on this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I think this card is great in older formats, mm -hmm. like the Blood Moon thing. Yeah, no matter what the deck is, even if you're not trying to fight Blood Moon, just having access to all of your colors 
whether you're a two to five color deck, is super, super huge. And the fact that I can see this in a mid-range type deck or coming out of the sideboards in like certain combo decks. Like Mm -hmm. I've seen people talking about this card out of the sideboard for Yawgmoth. And like maybe it's one of those things where like you got to work with it. But I think in any ramp deck or I think Amulet Titan is too stock at this point to force a Planeswalker in. But you can run one of these in the sideboard or just I've been trying to make a Golgari Rock deck work in Pioneer. And I think this might be a card. That they mm-hmm. could see playing something like that. Oh, last thing that makes me not super excited about the plus one in standard that I meant to mention, missed it. Because of Brotherhood's End, exposing a bunch of your lands to getting swept away, rough. Yeah, because it does say until your next turn, so it just doesn't go away after your turn, which is a very yeah. good point to have. But you, it's tough when you're when there's sweepers and Brotherhood's End and standard is very well this is a very good card and sees a ton of play i don't know i just i have a really good feeling about this card and just three mana planeswalkers man if this was four i wouldn't think it would be that great but the fact that it's three mana oh no i think yeah i don't think this would be i don't think this would be close at four no i think this one is on the fence i think if for me what i'd have to see is i'd have to see a three three i'd have to see the format get a bit smaller where a three three Mm -hmm. is dominating the board before this for this card to, I feel, be very impactful in standard. As it stands, like, just playing this on three, upticking it, no targets, and putting it to five, like, if you're on the draw, then it's likely you just don't untap with this. Yeah. And if you play it, it, it kind of... So my thing, thinking the same line, because it's a three-mana Planeswalker, but in order for it to, the plus one, for the plus one to have Ren and Realmbreaker protect itself, it's really a four mana card. Yeah. Because you need to play it with an untapped land that you can plus on and be like, all right, protect me, you fools. Mm. So I'm parsing this as this is a four mana card on a clogged board and a three mana card that cantrips on an empty board. And how mm-hmm. often is a board going to be empty on turn three? Yeah, fair. I will mention, though, this does play very well with my boy, the Jubilant Baller. Oh my god, three mana Planeswalker Tribal, go! Yeah, Let's this go. is very good. It's very um, good with Tyvar, yeah. Because I'm just looking into the way, because I play with Tyvar a lot in both Modern and in Pioneer, and the minus on Tyvar is very good. You getting something into play, very impactful. Sometimes you're milling three drops in some of the decks that you play. You're going to be milling cards with Ren and Realmbreaker as well, and sometimes you can just get back something you need. As well as you plus on Ren, you tap the land for mana, you plus on Tyvar, untap it, and you can still go and play something else and then go to attacks with it, and then just play Mm -hmm. something second main. I think it's very good. Now, what deck does that go in? Who knows? But there are some synergies with this card, and pretty high on it. You know me with green or black Planeswalkers. I'm all like, Mm -hmm. wee, yay, I love it. (laughs) Listen. I'm glad that I was not caught on record talking about Mrs. Steward of Elements. Was it real, real bad? (laughs) That was that was a if you had if there were a recording of me, you would have heard me talking about how that card is such a hit, how that (laughs) I was just convinced that card was it was so good in that format. Yeah, man. My favorite green planeswalker is Oko. What? That is shocking. I am shocked right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> i think oko was everybody's they'll never admit it but it's everybody's favorite because man it was so fun to play that card like you mean i don't have to worry about stalling out the board and i can play on the stack as my control deck for the rest of the game very cool anthony's happy place yeah <laughs> but yeah i'm stoked for ren 
I'm stoked for the set, March of the Machines. If this is a preview of what's to come for Planeswalkers that are coming in the set, because I think it's going to be on the scale of War of the Spark as far as, not as power level, but they're going to put a bunch of stuff in this. And let's see if they don't break things. And if they do, Anthony will love it. Yeah. One deck format for the win. <laughs> One deck format. Let's do it. San Diego coming up. We're excited. So stoked about it. I'm so ready. I'm packing stuff up, getting stuff together, doing my prep work as I can, uh, working on that Esper Legends deck. I think I've basically settled on it. Okay. You've been convinced. It's just, it keeps on coming up results and people we know and trust have told Anthony that it's the deck. I think I I think for me, an issue with that deck that I had was I was thinking of the channel lands as I was thinking of those channel lands as lands. I was thinking yeah. of them in the context that they would be in other decks and not mm-hmm. realizing that they all you like oftentimes they'll cost like one or two mana yeah. to use them. And they just become one or two mana spells that don't get taxed by your own Thalia. Which I think that's honestly, I think that's the reason the deck is so good because they play like three to four of the lands in their colors and three Iganjo, three Ottawara, two Takanuma is where I am right now. Yeah. And all three of those are super, super good in the deck. And look, all the car, all the creatures are legendary, but they're just so good. Like mm-hmm. every single one of them. Yeah. And Rafine helps you get rid of yes. duplicate legends that you just don't need. Rafine, hell of a card. Love that. Yeah. Signing off from Lexington, I'm Kyle. I'm Anthony. And until next week, do us a favor. Stay trashy, my friends. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to like and subscribe. It helps us out a ton and makes it easier for other players like you to hear what we have to say. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, Spotify, Peanut.fm, and iHeartRadio. One of those was not real, but we'll never tell. It was Peanut, wasn't it? Oh, shut the fuck up.